Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Rowdy Buddhist podcast. I hope all of you are doing well. Uh, today, I wanted to share a specific concept that is, uh, and again, a lot of these podcasts are so that it can help you, um, and hopefully I can support you in your practice by giving you some insight into uh, basic pitfalls or potential roadblocks uh, that you can experience uh, based on our human tendencies, uh, desires, etc. And <clears throat> the reason why I do this is because one of the purposes of uh, the path of the Buddha is that we're all on the path. And as we um, have experience on the path and practice and study, <clears throat> we can be basically be able to support and help others in their practice and study, which is, of course, uh, the way of the Bodhisattva. So I say this because, one, I, again, one of the reasons why I do this podcast is because, you know, I started Buddhism before the Internet uh, when you had to seek out books and uh, really seek out information and study. You know, first of all, uh, Buddhism was rare to find. Uh, and then also uh, in different languages, uh, not many translations were available. So one really had to search out the practice and study. But nowadays, uh, it's amazing. You can go on the Internet and find anything. And then also many things are available that were, uh, how do you say, sacred or uh, many years ago before the Internet in ancient times were extremely scarce that... There'd be one copy, you'd have to copy it yourself. I remember copying many things on, uh, not by hand, but by fact, by uh, copy machines. Um, but I also have transcribed Buddhist sutras and that by hand uh, for my own study. So I, I've done that practice as well, which is what our founder Nietzsche and Shonen and many uh, ancient priests have done themselves. But there are, for instance, many... Uh, amazing texts that were very rare and 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 particular and protected uh, even at the cost of life that now you can order for fifteen dollars on Amazon and translate it in English it, it's it blows my mind uh, <laughs> in many ways because I actually uh, for instance there was a Chinese medical text from the Shaolin temple and uh, it's extremely rare and and people had died for it uh, protecting it from many invaders and then of course from the communists and etc and and then having it available for under fifteen dollars in English um, is amazing <laughs> what we've come to in this uh, in our technology and uh, also the accessibility of it however this this brings up a new issue and I have talked to my students many times that actually, uh, too much information is just as bad as not enough information. Now, why do I say this? Well, I'm going to relate this back to my own personal experience uh, on my own path uh, through the practice of Buddhism. So, again, uh, the way that we as modern people uh, based in science tend to approach things uh, intellectually uh, through uh, a certain type of thinking. And that means information is what we wish to possess because we believe that information will ultimately give us truth. So therefore, one of our biggest desires, of course, as modern people is to get as much information as possible. I see this all the time 
in anything that we do uh, and anything that anyone wants to become a uh, practitioner at or a master at or uh, to be able to inculcate in their life. And that's our natural tendency as a modern people. But actually, in the ancient times, of, and even the ancient times before computers uh, and the Internet, uh, that we had to seek it out. And a lot of times that had to be something that you had to seek out through a teacher. So, of course, we have all these amazing texts. Now you can even create, uh, select texts of the different koans and teachings of Zen Buddhism that were kept in temples for centuries and only transmitted from master to disciple. Now there are books available on uh, Amazon, etc. And so in my own personal experience, I had this proclivity as a young person to uh, try to think, I, well, my thinking was that Buddhism was a accumulation of information. And all that information means... Um, grabbing as much as you can, studying as much as possible, uh, understanding from that context of intellect these teachings so as to understand the overall, perhaps, uh, philosophy of Buddhism. And uh, that meant that actually as a young person, I just ate up as much as I could. I locked myself into the library. I also did sutra reading where they lock you in a specific room and put magic tape over it and only put in food under the door as you spend weeks and months reading sutra and commentary. And this is a usual practice. It has to do with our study and practice. However, um, this was kind of my obsession. And even to the point that, um, especially when it came to secret or sacred or transmitted text, such as mudras or mantras, etc., uh, I would even uh, kind of borrow them uh, more on the way of perhaps taking them without asking uh, because my desire was so strong to take and get as much of this information that um, I didn't particularly like the idea of no, uh, you have to wait or uh, you have to be taught. And this, of course, is, is a young person's mind. Uh, this thirst for knowledge, and uh, despite all of the, uh, how do you say, <laughs> kind of apprehension or um, discretion of the teacher, uh, we we dis we totally disregard that and just uh, do as we wish. So, I remember I took and borrowed uh, one of my teacher's text on the bone visualization, which was a uh, method of Chan practice, um, visualizing the, the the dead body and then also the destruction of the white bones uh, breaking and falling apart. And I, I was just basically going through all of the different meditations and I, I did have the ability to understand the text and practice it, but I didn't have any context, which is what a Buddhist teacher gives you is context, especially one who has walked on the path before you. So I immediately uh, took that book and snuck away into my own little place to meditate. And and for weeks, I, I meditated on that. And then suddenly, it was interesting because I was also a young person. So I uh, at the temple, I used to be able to look and see beautiful people in that and say, oh, that's beautiful and have some emotion even <laughs> at that time because we're human beings. Uh, and as a young person, I thought, oh, that's part of being a... Um, 
uh, human, and I, I actually liked it uh, because I've, obviously, as a teenager, um, you—that uh, is the majority of how you're wired at that time. And so suddenly, because of this practice, it had disappeared. Um, and I actually had a kind of freak out where I ran to my Buddhist teacher after I tried to look at the most beautiful uh, women I could see, and then I didn't have any reaction. I didn't feel anything. No emotions swelled up inside of me um, after this practice. I, I ran to my Sifu and said, Sifu, you know, I, I'm sorry I took your book and, and I studied it and I did it, I practiced, but I, I don't feel any, uh, how do you say, desire or connection towards beauty and that. And it's very scary. And first of all, he said, uh, Hoi Gan, you shouldn't do that. Uh, please uh, ask me next time. I know you want to study many things, but uh, that is a potential liability in your practice and study. And of course, at that time, I didn't understand what he was saying. I just wanted relief as to uh, my current condition. And then I told him, again, what I felt. And he said, well, you're the monk, so you don't need to have those kinds of feelings. But I said, no, I'm, I'm alive, Sifu. I, I want to have those feelings. And then maybe when I realize why I should get rid of them, I should get rid of them. And he simply said, well, don't do it any longer. And in some time, it'll naturally fade away and those uh, desires will come back and it's interesting to think about it now uh, because uh, how foolish we are uh, in our uh, desire which is what it is uh, and sometimes you know very foolish desire uh, when we don't have any kind of boundaries or direction how even such a wonderful teaching like that can be uh, misused and then also then the context that, and even the achievement of it um, can be um, actually cause confusion and, and, and trouble in one's practice become a roadblock because at that time then I was waiting for it to subside but in actuality that is one of the practices that monks, how monks should do but uh, obviously there was some conflict within myself uh, and so therefore, what, what I share, why I share this story is because um, this is the current situation in which I see many times in Buddhism that, uh, especially with the amount of information that we have, uh, now we have so much information, too much information. And I remember back in the days, and perhaps all of you do if you're old enough, that when there was not enough information, even when you had to purchase a book at the bookstore, you had to wait one or two weeks or even a month for it to come in. Uh, and then, even if you get a book, uh, you have it, you have to understand the context. So, for instance, a lot of the esoteric practices and that, you need someone who has been, uh, of course, uh, given that tradition, who can then explain it and pass it on to you. So, it, it's, it's something that is demonstrated. But if you look in the West, that, that's what happened to a lot of Buddhism. Hence, Buddhism has degraded and become uh, a degenerate form of Buddhism because even a lot of teachers uh, perhaps have not had the proper transmission or have an incomplete kind of transmission or teaching and then they go out and teach people but the idea is that um, and this is the ancient times that 
it wasn't like as i said in the modern times it's based on education you go to university you get a degree in buddhist studies and then therefore you can teach buddhism but actually in the ancient times it was based on the experiential study so therefore not every student became a buddhist master to teach people uh, some of them kept being practitioners by themselves for most of their life and then a few were able to uh, come about and come to a realization which was then as with somebody else on the path a little bit uh, in front of us was able to uh, of course uh, see that and actually in practice when you have seen something you can recognize it easily in others uh, and 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 have that communicated so even i'll give you another example in my training having a very traditional training which focused uh, exclusively especially at the beginning on this experiential understanding uh, because obviously skomoto sensei had seen that my attraction and my obsession my desire was based on uh, the intellect and, and being able to get information and then use that information, of course, to debate and discuss with others because I thought that that was the way um, to possess the truth um, rather than uh, inculcate the truth uh, into one's life, into one's body. And that was obviously evident when I met Skomoto Sensei and my body was falling apart and I was so thin because all I did was... Um, pretend Buddhism so therefore I wore Buddhism in my robes in my body uh, which of course uh, may have cost like even the Buddha cost me my life eventually if I perhaps or illness or sickness which would then of course prevent me from practicing Buddhism but at the beginning it was this very ex ex experiential understanding uh, such as why in Buddhist temples we do cleaning etc but again if you just clean based on your own understanding, there is no advancement. Same with any teaching that you find. So if there's a particular teaching and you look at it from externally, uh, you may think this is the teaching I need, this is the teaching that I should use. But actually, uh, in many ways, it, it may be um, detrimental to your practice. And that's why the sensei means one who has gone before. So they should have understood that experientially. So when I studied with Komoto Sensei, uh, it was at the very beginning very much discouraged to have those conversations based on doctrine or words. Instead, it was action and, and manifesting it. And then, of course, um, the other option of being able to then study and practice on top of that with making that balanced in one's uh, understanding then made a well-rounded practitioner, I believe. And uh, that's what I try to transmit to other people. That's why I believe <coughs> Skomoto Sensei's method of teaching uh, and transmission of the Dharma is very uh, useful, especially for us modern people uh, who perhaps have a, a aversion to certain things and a proclivity towards others. So, the, the next part that I wanted to talk about, how can, if it's the Buddhist teaching, it's good, right? So we, we love all the Buddhist teaching, and there's thousands and 10,000 different Buddhist teachings that we have. And we keep going down these different rabbit holes and chasing after these teachings or experiences. And 
it was interesting because again i in my context i experienced that as a monk and and of course my ignorance towards practice but i i think it was really essential that i experienced that because i i couldn't believe that the dharma as taught in the lotus sutra even the daimoku as expounded by nietzsche and shonen seemed too simplistic for me and that i was looking for very specific exercise very specific practices for uh, very specific experiences but building up experience is not experiences even if they are um, how do you say somewhat uh, supernatural or awakened experiences um, don't necessarily last they're impermanent that's why we're not supposed to hold on to that uh, and not necessarily do they awaken us to our ultimate goal. And Buddhism has a very specific goal, and that is the end of suffering. Uh, each school has a different method. So, for instance, in Zen, they use samadhi. In uh, Nichiren Buddhism, we use kanjin, which is the seeing, the actualization, the experiential manifestation, instinctual uh, understanding uh, through essence that we're uh, given in, as the Lotus Sutra is transmitted by the eternal Buddha. That cannot be conveyed very easily because, again, what what we do is we've separated ourselves from the natural environment. So we've become very unnatural. And what all of the expedients of the Buddha's teaching are to bring us into this natural alignment so that we can then uh, experientially understand within our bodies, within our minds, uh, the true nature of things, myoho, universal truth. And so, actually, uh, one of the dangers that comes about now is that because of the amount of teachings that you can just turn on your computer and look up this or that and, and get pretty good in-depth understanding, there's always an element of missing in that the sense that uh, someone who has understood it or studied it and attained it uh, needs to guide you. And again, we can't lose sight of that goal of what Buddhism is. And and if we see it on chapter 16 of the Lotus Sutra, at the very end where the Buddha shows his true purpose, which then becomes our goal, to efficiently and quickly allow us to attain enlightenment. What that means is that, you know, the expedients are just ways to expediently, efficiently allow us to see. However, an expedient only becomes um, useful uh, when it is used with wisdom. If we use something with ignorance, we may load our cart up with too much information, too much, too many practices, and then suddenly we become discombobulated and we lose our sight, our way on the path. This is another thing that seems to happen. And actually, that is, I believe, what Nichiren and Shonen was saying in the Rishuan Kokoron, that by having so many uh, practices, specifically, um, that people are focusing on, uh, it can become confusing. And and again, it, I'm not saying that having expedients are negative. I'm not saying that uh, one way is the only way to uh, understand because all of them contain the essence of the Buddha. I believe that my personal self, believe through my experience, through the Lotus Sutra and the Odaimoku, but yet that's expressed in different ways. But even expression of the Dharma is a certain level of understanding. So otherwise it just simply becomes pretend or imitation Dharma. 
which we see the three periods after Buddha died, uh, passed away into Nirvana. Uh, we have the true Dharma, then we have the uh, imitative Dharma, and then we have the declining Dharma after the Buddha passed away. And again, these are all the different states of how the ignorant beings uh, then use or try to um, practice the Dharma incorrectly. So uh, the purpose of this particular uh, podcast is to say, uh, be careful with what you bring into your life and practice. It's okay to research and study, but uh, one, um, how do you say, uh, admonition that I would give to people is to be careful uh, because you may think that a particular practice will answer the problem that you are having at that moment. But we as Buddhists should see the bigger picture, that our problems right now or our desires right now are just branches on a poisonous tree. And that by simply cutting the branches, we're not getting to the root of the problem. The root of the problem is the overall suffering. And that therefore, that is why our teacher, uh, Nietzsche and Shonen, and many masters have tried to show, to, show us the most perfect way, uh, the perfect and sublime way in order to get to that uh, answer quickly so that we can be able to live whole and pure existences and propagate and teach the Lotus Sutra as Bodhisattvas, manifest that in our lives. And um, that's the true point of the Buddha. And that's the true meaning and reason for Buddhism. So I, I just wanted to share this because, again, uh, it's so easy to get caught up uh, because of the availability, uh, the shininess, the interest of things. But yet, in Buddhism, the most important thing is consistency uh, and uh, balance. Those are very important aspects. And using compassion and wisdom uh, to, to follow through with that. Um, so therefore, if you can dedicate yourself to one practice throughout your entire life, as you can see in many forms of Buddhism, that would not be considered a wasted life, especially if you are able to use the correct teaching according to the times, the place, etc., uh, and efficiently and quickly attain enlightenment. Then you will also you will be able to allow the Buddha to fulfill his vow, and then also you can uh, experience and live in that vow of the Buddha as well. So. I just give this as an admonition, as a friend on the path. And uh, of course, I support and I think about you all. And I hope that this is beneficial. That's why if my life and my experience in these things can be of benefit to others, uh, that that is the most important thing in my life. Uh, and, and to walk the path together and to make it together towards that goal of enlightenment. Because as you can see right now in the world, we need a lot more light in this world. Uh, darkness just keeps growing and appearing and spreading just like anger, violence, and hatred uh, and ignorance is supreme. So therefore, uh, let us light up the world, use our lives for the great purpose of the way of the Bodhisattva, the way of the Buddha, as extolled in the Lotus Sutra, to bring all beings to awakening, to um, enlightenment. So thank you very much for your time and uh, appreciation today. Amun myoho renge kyo.